Welcome to the Light of Syria podcast. My name is Dori Fari and I will speak with a realized spiritual master about his views on life and the topic of spirituality. So in these past episodes we talked about lots of things, we clarified what's the spiritual path and we talked about all the corner, cornerstones of the spiritual path that is called Surat Shabdi Yoga or Santmat or Nada Yoga and these three cornerstones were Sadguru, Sadachar and Sadhana, those who would like can listen to the previous episodes to catch up with the topics and then for this episode now I chose another argument because there is something when uh, it's, uh, we talk about Eastern philosophies there is a word which everybody likes to use but people use it in many ways so I thought it would be very good to shed some light by you master on this topic and clarify it and this is the big topic of karma so I chose for this uh, quote from another book of Master Kirpal which is called The Wheel of Life The Law of Action and Reaction Lest the reader gets confused by the term karma it is better to understand this word in its proper context originally the word karma stood for and represented sacrificial rites and rituals and yajnas performed by individuals as prescribed by the sacred texts. Later on, however, it came to include all kinds of virtues, social and self-purifying, like truthfulness, purity, abstinence, continence, ahimsa, universal love, selfless services, and all deeds of a charitable and philanthropic nature. In short, great stress was laid on the cultivation of atamgunas, which tended to discipline the mind and divert the mental powers in the right direction, so as to serve the higher purpose of liberating Atman or the spirit of bondage. What I would like to put as a first question after reading all this, lots of information, if you could talk about that part that, uh, in short, great stress was laid on the cultivation of Atamgunas, which tended to discipline the mind and divert the mental powers in the right direction so as to serve the higher purpose of liberating Atman, the spirit in bondage. So, the mental powers in the right direction. What, what does it mean? In this book, Master Kirpal splits the air quite some. <clears throat> but that's how it's meant to be with books. You have to give lots of informations and go into details, which in practical life, most of the time, they have no consequence. So what is karma? Does the word means actually? It means action, to act, to do something. Most of the time, karma is understood as reaction. Mm-hmm. by people but karma means action 
and every action then brings a reaction. And according to the nature of the action, you get a consequent reaction. So good actions bring as a consequence good reactions. Bad actions bring as a consequence bad reactions. That's quite scientific, I would say. So is this the law of action and reaction, which is the subtitle? Yes, law of action and reaction cause and effect. And then what is the wheel of life? What does it mean, the wheel of life? If karma means action, what is this wheel? The wheel is the wheel of bondage, in which all the incarnated souls are turning. So it's called samsara or it's called chorazi, is that wheel in which as far as you are bound by your actions, you will have by any means to come back on this earth. So keep whirling in this wheel of life. So <clears throat> the path of any spiritual practice is meant to take us out of this wheel of transmigration, wheel of life, wheel of transmigration. So if we perform spiritual actions, we will get as a result spiritual benefits. And if you gather a lot of spiritual benefits, then we'll be rewarded and we eventually get out of this wheel of life or wheel of transmigration. It is said that this wheel is composed of about 8,400,000 uh, birds and rebirths. <laughs> masters, masters of this path understand that the several incarnations in which a soul may be born is 8,400,000. And this includes everything which is possibly incarnated in the all of manifestation, not just on this earth plane, also angels, gods, demons, every, every possible creature, it's included in this number. But how did they make this number? I didn't make it. <laughs> Those who made it, they might have studied it, or they might have had a revelation about this. There are many numbers <clears throat> which are quite meaningful, and this is one of them. So, what is karma? Karma is everything we do, not only as action. The words we speak, the thoughts we have, they all bring a consequence. And according to how intense they are, how powerful they are, they bring a consequent reaction. And actually, thoughts are even more potent than words, and even more potent than actions. So we must be very careful about what we think, because as we think, so we become. But why thoughts are more potent than words and actions? How, how do you mean this? How to understand it? Because thoughts are energy, are the root cause of words and actions. If you have no thoughts, 
then there will be no words and no actions. So, those are very important. Master Kepal used to give a, tell a story about this. He used to say, once Akbar, the great king of India, Akbar, was taking a walk with his prime minister. So this prime minister was telling to the emperor, look, my good emperor, thoughts are very potent. Be careful what you think. And he said, why are they so potent? Nobody sees my thoughts. <laughs> Nobody knows what I am thinking. Why Just that's what I thought before. <laughs> why are they potent? So they saw a man coming from the other side. And he said, well, think something about that man. And when we, we come close to him, we will, uh, we will ask him something. So the king thought of, I would just shoot at him and kill him. Ooh. So <clears throat> when the man came in front of them, of course, there was the emperor. So he went to bow down at him and he said, Please ask him what he thought when he saw your face. The Prime Minister told the Emperor, ask him what he thought when he saw your face. So he said, the Emperor asked him, please, in complete honesty, I won't do anything, whichever thought you had about me, <laughs> I'm not going to do anything to you, you are forgiven. So please tell me honestly what you thought when you saw my face. He thought, he said, i thought that I would crash your head. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so the emperor so the emperor was wonderstruck and the minister told him told him, you see how potent are the thoughts? So this is an example. So as we think about the people, they think about us. We would like people to think good about us even when we think bad about them. But that's not possible. <laughs> So if you want to know how people are thinking about you, what they think about you, you just analyze what you think about them. It's just the same. And also the words that we speak about others, that's the words that they speak about us. So that's the law of action and reaction. And Maulana Rumi says, every opposite manifests its opposite. So when an action is pushed to the extreme, What you get is just the opposite of it. I, I am not sure if I fully understood what do you mean. Every opposite manifests its opposite. So, when we push something to the extreme, what we get is the opposite. That's how it goes in life. But uh, you just said, if I think bad about somebody, that somebody will think bad about me. So it manifests the same thing. So the negative thoughts manifest look, negative thoughts. <clears throat> look, when the night becomes the most dark, before dawn, the night reaches the most darkness, and then the dawn comes. And when the sun raises the most high during the day, then it begins to, to lower until it reaches the horizon and disappears and the darkness came, comes. So it's an example, that's how life goes. So when we reach the peak of our life, 
and become we, be, we reach the most uh, possibility that we may manifest through this life and through this body then the decay be, begins so that's how life goes so it means if uh, we reach like let's say let's I, before I thought, talked about the negative thoughts then if we reach to the bottom like life has become very bad and difficult yes, for us yes then you can find the light yes so in the darkness we find the light yes that's how it goes if you don't go into a very deep crisis in your life and you don't suffer a lot you will never find the light is there exception for this i don't believe there is exception i don't believe for anybody it's very easy and always very easy i think the dark night of the soul comes for whosoever comes on a spiritual path and really looks for the light because if you don't face i've said it already in some other podcast if you don't face the darkest side of yourself you will never find the brighter side of yourself the brightest side of yes, yourself yes it's true when uh, we were talking about the spiritual retreats in the previous episode mm. about sadhana then you said there we really face our <laughs> dark side our negative side of our mind so it's interesting an artist when he reaches the peak of its inspiration and creativity then the decay begins until he won't be able to do anything anymore he or she whatever That's how life goes. And anyway, so that's what karma is. Action and reaction cause and effect. And uh, through life, through our life, we perform many actions. And all the actions that we perform in this life, they don't... Uh, bring a consequence in this life we die eventually with many desires with many most of the people they have lots of desires until they die and according to the desires that they have at the time of death those very dominant they will have to be reborn in this world because those actions which may be just thoughts mm -hmm. cravings or something desires they don't just disappear into the air they stay bound to that soul and eventually they will determine what his or her next life will be so when we incarnate I mean when we leave the body all this karma which has not been consumed in this life goes to join with the store karma which is the sanchit karma and what does it mean the karmas that we we didn't consume all these desires and cravings that people have up up to their death so what attachments to to their dear ones attachment to their belongings attachment to so many things of this world and even beyond the attachment even a craving for more most of the people die like this they have lots of desire 
Then and desires. What about those desires which were fulfilled and then we are satisfied with it? But maybe if it was, I don't know, we want, uh, I don't know, no example comes into my mind, but I would like something, then I get that something, then I have it, so I'm satisfied. But if I were to lose that something, I might crave for it again. Yes. So maybe I didn't consume that karma. How can yes. we know if we did consume a karma, which it is off? You don't have a desire for it anymore. It doesn't matter to you anymore. You don't care about it. It's finished. You are above it. That's the sign that you have done with something. Mm-hmm. That you are done with something. So you said all these karmas yes. which are in the store, they are the sanchit karma. So at the end of each lifetime, those uh, those actions, desires, cravings that we have and we die, they go to join with the store karma, which has been gathered there through all the incarnation which we have had. And when we are to be reborn, then out of the sanchit karma is chosen a certain set of actions and reactions, a certain uh, a certain trend which is going to make the destiny of your life to come. And this is called pralabdha karma, that is the destiny karma, is that which is set for this lifetime which is going to happen. And this, it's written down even before we are born and we will have to go through it no matter what. That's destiny. And we have to face it and learn from it. But this cannot be changed. Nobody can change it. We have to go through it. But then, while we live our next life, according to this destiny karma, At every step, when we are faced with situations in which we may decide right or wrong, this way or the other way, then there we we have a certain free will in which we may choose for the right action or the wrong action. And if we do this, can we influence our Sanchit Karma? Which, <laughs> because you said that when we incarnate on the earth, Then the pralabdha karma is a set of um, uh, chosen from the sanchit karma from the storehouse, um, and not all of them, probably some of them. But with these uh, kind of actions which we perform the kriyam, with the kriyaman karma, so called, in this lifetime, can we influence that which is in the store? So can we have <laughs> say like like good students they overdo? Um, in the school maybe they do more homework and even if we come with a set of karmas with the pralabdha karma in this life if we try to be very good and behave very good can we how to say like work down some or consume some of the karmas of this sanchit over the pralabdha Kriyaman has got to do with the actions that we perform in this life And on this we have a certain limited free will in which we may choose the course of our action. So this is going to influence 
mostly the future, not the past. So this is going to, if you are, if you are, uh, let's say, if you have self-control and uh, we are able to be wise and uh, keep progressing by goodwill, then we may make a future for us. So in India there is very much, is very much uh, in use this saying, if you want to know which were your past thoughts and desires, just look what you are now, because this is a consequence of that. And if you want to know what is going to be, what you are going to be in the future, then look what you're thinking and what you're doing now, because this is going to create your future. Yes, that's why I asked. Maybe I didn't properly put my question, because I imagine in my head this uh, Sanchit karma, or these lots of karmas which we have in the store, like it's a, it's a constant something, like a dynamic something, from which uh, is kept being uh, taken away and added as well. Yes. It's, what is, it's also another aspect of what is called the Akashi Records. This is a much wider something, which includes maybe the story of the whole creation, but we are also included in it. So our searching, such karma is part of this, uh, uh, these Akashic recordings. It's a very nice thought with which you said. I never thought about myself like part of this whole big creation. Uh-huh. <laughs> very appealing that I am part of the chronicle. <laughs> You're part of this whole creation and you eventually you are the doer of this creation. And then if we have the pralabdha karma, which we have to face by any means in this life and we can't change it, but then we have the kriyaman on which we can have an influence. And uh, you said by this we can uh, influence our future by having good thoughts, good deeds, like um, just came into my mind, uh, Master Kirpal used to say, it is said that um, first come the right thoughts, which are followed by the right words, that conclude in the right deeds, right actions. This is something which I often say to my son, (laughs) hoping that one day he will understand it. And um, so if he try to pay attention to this, to, to be very, as, as we said also in the previous episode, the be good, do good, be one. And if we try to be good and try to do so good, then, then uh, what happens? What does, bring, what does it bring into our present life and into our future? Well, <clears throat> in all the spiritual paths, in all the spiritual philosophies, it is talked about raising above this wheel of transmigration, that means raising above karma. But as far as we live in a body and we are under the control of senses, impulses, and minds and thoughts, 
it's almost impossible. I would say it's impossible to get out of this wheel of action and reactions. So how do we get out of it? We get out of it by not identifying ourselves with our thoughts, our words and our actions. Like becoming an observer of what we do, what we think, what we talk and what we act. So this is very important. Not to come to the point of non-identification with our person. And uh, performing actions of uh, kindness, of love, of compassion, of selfless service. That's why. That's how we don't identify ourselves with our uh, with our doings. Understanding that's not we doing it, but it is the supreme power, the energy, divine energy working in us that perform the action. So that's non-identification. First of all, doing actions of love, of surface service, of compassion towards all sentient beings. And then non-identified by non-identifying ourselves, even with those good actions, because it's not we doing anything. So we have to get out of the scene we have to get out of the play and understand that we don't do anything, but it is God doing everything through us. So we give the credit to the one to whom the credit belongs and we get out of the play. Of the play. Consequently, that's the way that we get out of uh, this wheel of cause and effects, actions and reactions. So eventually... We understand ourselves like an actor of the of the divine will. Yes, like a puppet in his hands. But does it mean also when you say that we have to become our own observers and observing our thoughts, our, our words, our actions? Does it mean at the same time to be detached from our own person? Is it possible? Yes, detached and non-identified. That's also what we should do when we meditate. We have thoughts, because thoughts keep coming. And if we identify with our thoughts, very often we suffer, because our thoughts, most of the time, they are not good thoughts. So, we should not identify, just watch them. They come and go. And uh, it's not really we doing it. But if we detach ourselves from ourselves then for example I mean, it's just a question if you have a family we have children parents um, husband or wife then if we are detached from ourselves then do we automatically get detached from these our family members and friends or whatever from the old world and all the other people Becoming from our from life, like I mean, I put it very long, but I meant. So, do we get detached from life? Yes, that's how it it is meant to be. I mean, we have relations, and we try to be as loving as we can with relations, 
but we don't want to be attached to anybody. Definitely. So, as far as these people are in our life, we enjoy their company, we give our best to make their life happy as much as it's in our control, but with a certain detachment always. A spiritual person is not really bound to anybody but God and his beloved master. That's how it is. So, love and affection join together with detachment. That's how spiritual master is. So, uh, whatever happens, you accept it as the will of God. You can make it the coffin and prepare the grave for your son if you know that he's going to die. And you do it in complete acceptance of the will of God. That's how a sage, I realized, spiritual person is. We are morbidly, morbidly attached to everything and everybody. A spiritual person, a wise person, loves everybody, but is detached from everybody. So this is what it means, uh, which is written by Master Kripal, <coughs> is it? The mental powers in the right direction. To be detached. So th is this the right direction? Yes, this is the right direction, definitely. If you don't want to suffer at every step in life, you have to be detached. <coughs> Things, situations, people come and go. And as far as they are there, you do your best to give out your best to them. But when they go, it's done, it's finished. In my life, I've been associating with so many people. So many people. In these 50 years I am on the spiritual path, I was first part of Masekirpal Sangat, then part of Sanji Sangat. So many people I came to know, with whom I became friends, very good relations, loving, and friendships. Then now, since more than 20 years, these people were uh, relating to me as a master. So many people have come and gone. As far as they were here, I gave out my best to them. But once they went away, finish. No problem. I never suffer because, because of this. They come and go. That's the way it's meant to be. So I accept it fully. And uh, you also talked before about uh, the good and bad karmas. But then what is good karma and what is bad karma? Who decides what is the good and the bad? The outcome is what shows if a, an action that we do is good or is bad. From a good action, always joy, happiness, and fulfillment and progress is generated. From a bad action, darkness, suffering, pain is generated. Oh, this makes me ponder over because I can't <laughs> fully detach myself from the fact of being a mother. 
And sometimes parents, they have to scold their children because of not behaving good, which is not nice. Seems like maybe a bad action for the child, definitely. No, no, that's But not then a bad action. But then the outcome is good because their, their behavior is corrected. And then, I mean, sometimes it's very difficult because out of love and care, we have to do difficult actions. Let's say we have to act strongly sometimes. We have to... Uh, take the proper action according to the situation. And sometimes you have to scold somebody in order to, to improve a situation. Good, I mean, loving manners, they don't always work. And when somebody is leak out all the time and given everything, that's the way to spoil the life of somebody. When everything is yes, you spoil the life of the person. No is also there. It must be there. Because <laughs> life, it's, it's very hard. And we have to learn lessons. That's why we come here. And uh, there are some karmas somehow which are in the somehow in a gray zone in between the good and bad because then some karmas are evidently good when we help somebody it's so obvious and evident it's a good action motivated by love and the other person is happy and bad when maybe on purpose we offend somebody or or we do something unnice and then the result also is unnice uh, also for the other person it's very evident but then The question also, which I would like to join here. Uh, what about killing mice or rats if they are a nuisance? Also, is that about... Um, also, what about killing insects? Doesn't this create bad karma because of the God in them? And uh, in the end of this question also was added. I heard that Sanji would just say to them, go away, and they would. Well, <clears throat> I begin with the end of it. I don't know where this person who asked this question got this information, but I can say very, very honestly and with total awareness that about a master, so many stories are built up which are not true at all. So, <clears throat> the Sanji would tell rats, snakes, and uh, <clears throat> scorpions, uh, ra um, whatever, to go away and they will go away, I don't believe it at all and it's not true at all. So <clears throat> I've been with Sanji for, for all the period when he was a master for 20 and past year, years and uh, I know very well how he was and uh, how, what he thought about things and so forth. So. In the beginning, when I came to Livia, there were quite a good amount of snakes, scorpions, and everything. So, when I went to India, after some time I was living here, after, after one year, maybe even less, I told Sanji, look, in this place where I, where I went to live now, where I want to build this ashram, there are quite a number of vipers, scorpions, and so forth, spiders, mouse 
rats here in this area that are not. So I told him about this. What should they do? I asked. And he said, get rid of them. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so if we kill these kind of creatures, do we make a bad karma? Well, yes. In a way, yes. But we must remember that lives have value according to the elements that compose them. A human being is, killing a human being is not the same as killing a, a monkey, a cow, a horse. Human being has much more of a value. And killing, uh, let's say, uh, a bird, fish, uh, an insect, is not the same as killing a cow. And again, killing an ant, killing a mosquito, is not the same as killing a fish or a bird. Because the proportion of elements which compose that life is what give value to that life. So, anyway, we human beings have to live a life on this planet and we have to be allowed to to live a dignified life, a life without troubles, I would say. So, most of the time, these insects are troublesome. And anyway, they're here for uh, evolving. So, we don't want them to be stuck in those bodies for long times because they're useless bodies. <laughs> most of the time, troublesome bodies. Just look at flies. They keep bothering you all the time. And uh, they are like thoughts, you know? Thoughts and flies, they're just the same. <laughs> you don't want thoughts, especially bad thoughts, but they come and trouble you. Flies are the same. You don't want them, but they get sticking to your face, around your nose, around your eyes, and coming and going and coming and going. So I will say that get getting rid as much as possible of these uh, troublesome creatures for human beings is allowed. That's how life goes and that's how evolution also happens. And it is said that if a master uh, stumbles upon an insect or uh, any kind of creature and by walking and kiss them, ants, whatever it is, they say that that creature in his, his next lifetime, he will be born as a human being. So if a master for his life has to get rid of these kind of creatures because they, they disturb his or her life, it's grace and blessing for these creatures because they will be born as human beings. That's what Sanji used to say. That's what Master Kipali used to say. <laughs> and there was Dr. Molina who sometimes would say, well, let's help them evolve. So we'll just kill a fly <laughs> or a mosquito or something. Just a purpose. <laughs> well, I was um, thinking somehow just to connect to this because um, nowadays it's very fashionate to talk about uh, not only vegetarian diet, we talked about vegetarian diet and also about a non-violent, non-harming lifestyle. But nowadays, I think it's, um, 
the most fashionate ever to talk about vegan uh, lifestyle, vegan diet, and uh, it's it's a it's a contrast. You know? then those who are vegans, then they don't eat anything that derives from animals, not even honey made by the bees. Then uh, how is it with those who are vegan or <laughs> no? <laughs> My understanding of this is every opposite manifests its opposite. I am very sure that most of the vegan people, after two, three years, ten years maximum, they will go back eating meat. Because it's a bit of an extreme. That's my opinion. So I am for a vegetarian diet, but vegan is not for everybody. I mean, one can go on your fruits. That's a very good diet. It's okay. But uh, proposing for the humankind a vegan diet, I think it's a bit too much. Most of the people are not fit for it. And I would say that it has to go also according to the constitution of the person and the needs, special needs of a person. For some people, a vegan diet is not enough. And um, just to to um, ask for a further clarification, you said uh, killing a human being is not the same like killing a cow or a monkey, and uh, killing a cow is uh, or killing a how to say like a fish or a bird is not the same like killing a cow, and then killing an insect or whatever is not the same like killing a fish or a bird. Um, But uh, still, I mean, what is the limit in this killing then? If it can be alright, if something does disturb me, then where is the limit in this? Well, I mean, in a house we have to be careful that mouse doesn't come, rats do not come, that a viper doesn't enter your house, that uh, if you have scorpions or uh, spiders, which are dangerous, you get rid of them. That's what I mean. You don't go in the fields and kill all the vipers, kill all the snakes, and kill all the scorpions. That are not bothering you. But what's in your environment, in your house, that gives you problems? I don't know. If you have had mouses in your house for, a, for some time, you will know what they can do. They can really harm do a lot of harm. Yes, mice can be So you have to get rid disaster, of them. Yes. If a viper enters into your house... Yes, it's very dangerous. Then yes. you have to get rid of this viper. Yes, definitely. So do you mean that if something is dangerous for you? Yes. I mean, if I go in a field and see a viper, I don't kill the viper. But if the viper comes near the house, front of the door, or enters into the house, then I kill that viper. I'm sorry. Well, they say also, where the snake goes, then it keeps returning. Yes, that's... And mouses also. If they come in your house and you put a trap, and then you leave him free in, uh, into the fields, he will return again. Yes, they... And if you make a mark on that mouse, you will notice. It's the same mouse coming back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, no, because I was just wondering that if anybody could use it as an excuse to kill animals or kill anything like... Oh, it's okay, it was disturbing me. <laughs> no, no, there's no other way. I mean, it was really troubling your life. The rest, can, they can go their way. 
And uh, thank you, dear master, to share your thoughts about karma and uh, the law of action and reaction. And we continue talking about the Kriyaman karma and the free will the next episode. Okay, thank you. And uh, to conclude this episode, we can again listen to a beautiful song of Donna Jewel Pollard, sang by Master Sirio. I saw. I saw the blazing grass Against the shallow air of this world, I saw my face among the moving mass of people, prudent knowingly. Beating my wings against the shallow air of this world. I wept, I cried. How long, how long, how must I wander from thee? How long must I wait when we both Nothing, nothing but love With both eyes With both eyes, my guru With both eyes, my guru Don't sound nothing Nothing but light Teach me to see Nothing but thy face Teach me to hear Nothing but thy voice 
Sing thy 